This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Trigger warning of sorts. Have you ever been investigated by your department's internal affairs office? Was it a pleasant experience? Today, I'm speaking with a veteran Los Angeles Police Department internal affairs investigator who can tell us about the inner workings of an internal affairs unit or what agencies are now calling the Professional Standards Unit. Our guest today is Marlon Marache. He is a retired 24-year veteran LAPD police sergeant. And during his 15 years as a sergeant, he has investigated cases of officers while working in internal affairs. He's defended cops when they were involved in officer-involved shootings for potential misconduct and other associated allegations. Welcome to Policing Matters, Marlon. Uh, Jim, thank you. Uh, good morning, and thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Well, not to be flippant, but how do you keep your friends when you're on the force after you get assigned to internal affairs? I got to tell you, you know what? I, I always like to uh, leave it up to my personality. You know, I'm a sweetheart, and I think that all my ex-partners uh, and colleagues uh, and classmates would know that if Marlon is going to internal affairs, uh, he will do right by the officers. One, two, I've always had the theory and I always had the belief when it comes to investigating our own is no stone goes unturned. That particular term to me means a lot. And, and we'll get into as to why it does. However, not only did I go into internal affairs, and I can explain to your audience that in the Los Angeles Police Department, and maybe Jim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we're the only agency, not here in Southern uh, California, or probably in this nation, or maybe just in the States, where we have a border rights hearing process. What that actually means is that when you are brought out some serious, serious allegations of misconduct, the chief of police is going to tell you, look, I'm going to go ahead and direct you to this hearing. It's called a border rights hearing. It's going to have a three panel member. You can choose. You can choose two command staff officers and a civilian or you can choose three civilian officers. It's ultimately up to you, but guess what? I'm gonna recommend termination, but we're gonna wait to see what happens in this mini trial, no any different than like a civil trial. And if you're found guilty and moved to the penalty phase and they decide to remove you, guess what? The ultimate decision lies on me. And then we'll get further into that. However, other agencies, as you know, we don't. they don't have that particular process. As a matter of fact, my understanding is and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're brought up some serious allegations of misconduct, chances are you're probably going to get a call into the chief's office and he's going to look at you and say, look, you know what? You're a great dude and all. I like you, but you know what? This is way too serious. You got to go. You're fired. Go and try and get your job through Civil Service Commission. Yeah. So, I mean, from your answer and from chatting with you, it, it sounds like you're in that category of the guy who's fair, and that's all any cop can really want, right? So there's a couple of categories of IA people, the headhunters, um, you know, that is 
colloquial uh, term. Uh, some people that want to, you know, show that they're they're unbiased by prosecuting cops um, rather than giving you a fair shake. But um, I think every cop appreciates that that an investigator that they know is going to be fair, that they're going to bring the evidence forward and then ask for the officer's perspective. And you just hit a really good buzzword before I forget and go on to the next question is that it's really all about fairness. I think that at some point you did mention that it does get biased and personal. Unfortunately, as you know, my beloved I alumni that I am, our process uh, at times is not fair and it definitely gets personal. And when I, you know, to keep friends, um, certainly I didn't have any problems maintaining my friends. I think they appreciated the fact that not just that I'm investigating, that I'm actually being an advocate. And it goes to your point. My lieutenant told me when I got the job as an advocate, as an associate advocate, he said, listen, Marlon, you know, when you're doing these hearings, don't treat it like it's some prosecutorial type of role. You know what? I beg to defer. It is a prosecutorial role. Because at the end of the day, that officer is bringing up some serious allegations. And I know we're going to get into these questions where, you know what, if he's dirty, he's a liar. No good cop, a friend of yours, colleague or a classmate is going to appreciate you wanting to work with someone that's of that status, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, especially police officers, want bad actors working for their department, showing up on the news, doing something heinous. Right. But uh, I think every cop wants a fact finder, somebody who's going to uh, bring forth the both sides, the the prosecution side, but the exculpatory side that that may be a defense as well. What what types of cases are you seeing, or did you see most often? Um, OISs, uh, complaints from citizens, uh, internal complaints. Um, internal, some definitely. A lot of my border rights were um, uh, on duty related, but I will say this, the department in my experience is very forgiving when it comes to on duty related issues. However, when it comes to off duty related issues, the scope is completely narrow and you will be judged. Uh, and a lot of scrutiny is gonna come with your behavior as it happens more off duty than it does on duty because on duty, there's certain things that happen where, you know what, um, that's just that's just a you know um, that's just the way it goes sometimes when you're doing police work. It's not always you know mechanical. It's not always practical. Things happen, and you know there is some forgiving and flexibility and leniency when it comes to that. But what I've seen the most, unfortunately, is the false or the misleading state. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you do things, even on duty. For whatever reason, I don't know, I, I would only venture to say that it's probably in your character as to why you don't want to be transparent. Mm. Maybe you're scared, maybe someone giving you some advice. I don't know what your attorney is telling you, but I got to tell you, if you are forthcoming, forthright, truth, truth, truthful, and honest, you know what? You're going to be okay. You really are. So for me as an advocate representing the chief of police in this prosecutorial role, your best bang for your buck is a false statement. So my job is to get that, you know, more likely than not, right? Preponderance. Sure. You know, and, and, and by the way, before I forget, what I've seen the most, just to let you know in a short way, is false statements. 
and it happens both on duty and off duty, right? But that is that is an accountability on yourself. That has nothing to do with the duties and responsibilities of what you did on that day. It's just that you chose in your compelled interview with internal affairs to mislead the investigator or to just flat out lie, no matter how much prepping and no matter how much advice your attorney has given you. And, and I work the other side as a defense rep. For whatever reason, you just decided not to tell the truth. And that is what really stands out the most. And that's what I've experienced the most. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is the truth will set you free. However, I wanted to ask you, you bring up a great point. What is your advice um, to an officer involved in a use of force situation or, or officer involved shooting? I've had my own experience and, uh, you know, an officer can choose to either go in and give that administrative statement to their commanding officer, or their platoon commander, whoever's on duty at the, at the time of the incident. Should the officer, what's your advice? Speak independently, tell the truth, or just clam up, shut it down, and wait for the union rep or the union attorney? Well, definitely wait for representation for one. So we have a process by which officers and supervisors have an understanding especially in a major incident like an OIS, right, an officer-involved shooting, where there's duties to be done. In other words, that sergeant has to provide that leadership and say, look, um, I'm ordering you not to say anything. I'm ordering you to stand over here and wait for, you know, your attorney or your rep to show up. Um, please stay right there. And if there's another shooter involved, well, you know what? You stand over there and don't talk to each other because I have like six, seven plates spinning. I got to, you know, think about my public safety statement. I got to ask you about the PSS. I got to ask you about the PSS. And then you got to tell me, you know, whatever the answer may be, I might have to go and investigate a little bit and tell you to stop. Then I got to find out to see if I got to monitor you. I got to separate you. I got to find out to see percipient witnesses who heard it, who saw it, who heard and saw it. And so there's just a host of stuff that's going on with that supervisor. So he or she plays that major role. So the advice that I would give to any officer listen, listening to, your, um, to this podcast is you need to understand clearly what your duties and responsibilities are when it comes to a major incident like that. And if you don't, get a hold of me. I'd be more than glad to even provide a, you know, uh, a training course to show you how it is that this works, this process. Um, but by no means you know, uh, uh, deviate from, you know, trying to be cool or because you're antsy and you want to know and you want to tell no one, but that's just the nature of, you know, of some cops that get nervous and, you know, they start talking. And um, so my suggestion to you is just, just, just wait for the process to, you know, to take care of, because number one, what we care about the most is your safety, right? We care about, you know, the fact that you're going to be okay. You know, we care about, Hey, one of the questions of the PSS is at which direction did you actually fire, right? And if you tell me, well, I fired in a westerly direction and there happens to be an apartment building or a complex, well, you know what? My job is to say, okay, why don't we stop right there? Let me go check and see real quick if there's any more victims or something happened where the bullet may be, whatever, I'm investigating. Sure. So those kind of issues become a little complex and it may be overwhelming for some because I never experienced this. But if I can provide any type of awareness or understanding, 
I'm here for you and I'm here to tell you, just relax, pay attention to your supervisor, your sergeant, he or she will kind of guide you through this process. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so here in California, and I know the Southern states have pretty strong uh, police officers bill of rights. We've got Pobar here uh, in California and yet we also have the Liebarger case and others yes. that say an officer must answer a separate administrative investigation. So you have parallel tracks, but you have a firewall between a criminal investigation and then the administrative one where an officer may be compelled to describe what they did on duty and failure to do so, even if they're absolved of the criminal case, can result in them being disciplined or terminated. Correct. Correct. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're you're with me on this one. I'm enjoying this. You're the first uh, host where we can really have this great conversation about you know, these disciplinary and these issues when it comes to internal affairs, because I got to be honest with you, I've been on a lot of these podcasts and, you know, I mean, no offense to all my hosts that have invited me, but I really honestly feel as I'm going through this podcast touring campaign, not, not many of us are really discussing internal issues and it's so, so important. And so that brings me to Liberger and it brings to Pobra. So basically for the Los Angeles Police Department, my beloved LAPD, we always compel officers, no matter what. We are not in the business of doing voluntary statements. We've been practicing that for decades. And the reason why we do that is because it has a really good firewall, right? It's got a good protection for you to be forthcoming, honest and forthright and transparent to tell internal affairs, hey, this is what happened, right? Lieberger, as we were talking before we got on, is an extra added protection because the compelling admonition that internal affairs does only covers the fact that if you don't give me a compelled answer or compelled statement, I should say, then you know what? I have the authority under the chief of police to charge you with subordination or even probably even termination, right? Mm. But Liberger has that criminal uh, aspect, that door to open, because you're right, especially in today's policing. You can agree with me that if you get involved in an OIS tonight, not only is the inspector general rolling out, but so is, the, so is the AG. And you know what? They're conducting their own independent investigation, and you better believe that there's a strong probability that, well, there's definitely conversations about the fair probability of charging you with criminal culpability. And so Liberger becomes so important for you to say, hey, listen, anything that you tell me in this particular investigation, you know what, will not be held against you in any subsequent criminal proceedings. And that's where the two kind of meet, and that's how we handle. However, um, our, my beloved uh, IA, for whatever reason, after the decades, their, their leading sheet, you know, that says, you know, the admonition, they just don't include that extra layer of firewall of Liebarger. So we have to kind of get on the record and say, hey, listen, mm-hmm. is anything that I say, you know, in this particular interview that you're compelling me going to be held against me, going to be held against me uh, for criminal culpability, you know, and then we move on and so forth. So the two become very important. Uh, not many people are very aware of that, 
and uh, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. I really honestly feel, I hope, I don't know, maybe you can help me out, Jim, but I think other uh, agencies and states are doing that. I'm not really aware, but I'm certain that is a couple of, uh, you know, other states that are doing something similar. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the assault last year, previous two years on qualified immunity, some states, some Southern states have actually strengthened protections against officers so that they're not fearful of of doing their job and and maybe making a mistake i mean you know we're we have the we're authorized to use force we're author, authorized to use firearms and deadly force and uh you know sometimes these decisions uh don't play out like they do in a courtroom where you know we've got time to slow motion camera body worn camera and and take time to review everything um and so, you know, officers either have to act or risk their own lives or, or the safety of others. Hey, Absolutely. I want to get into technology in a minute. Yes. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And welcome back. We're speaking with Marlon Marache, retired LAPD sergeant detective in internal affairs. So we talk a little bit about technology, Marlon. Um, I've heard over the past few years that body-worn cameras can trigger a violation depending on whether or not the officer records in critical search situations. Or, for, or actually forgets to activate the BWC. And, you know, again, we're talking human nature. You get out of the radio car, you're not even on a call. Maybe you're going in to grab a cup of coffee and something transpires in front of you where you need to act now. Not now, but right now. And you don't double tap your body-worn camera. Some agencies run the BWCs all the time. Others uh, compel officers to double tap them to, to start the buffering and then the recording. And I'm hearing that officers are being brought up on these sort of ticky tacky um, charges, ticky tacky in a sense that in the totality of the circumstances, they have to act. And the body worn camera activation is a secondary and it's not second nature yet. I mean, we're, we're maybe in the first decade of body warden cameras and it, it's not built in second nature um, to new officers that are going out in the field wearing them what's what's your opinion on that oh god thank god i'm retired for a month by the way and um you know sometimes i feel like i go on a bashing session about my beloved you know ia because i am an ia alumni but i got to be honest and transparent yes we are the worst of our own it, it's not what you heard. What you heard is actually accurate. Of, of course, failure to activate is a, an allegation of misconduct. Uh, does it happen quite often? In the beginning, it did. I want to say, and maybe you, you can definitely quote me on this, and maybe my classmates listening, 
uh, would know more than I would, but I think it's a 90 day. So in other words, wow. when we first got them, there was a 90 day grace period where you can get used to the activations, the double tapping, the keeping it on, when to turn it off, when to turn it on. Also part of the policy, and it's got like nine bullets, when you're supposed to turn it on. And so for the department, you know, as much bashing as I've already done, you know, and been critical of my beloved IA, we're pretty fair in a sense that, look, if you do it once, cool. You start doing it twice, mm, you start having this pattern of com complete just failing to activate or just not activate it at all, you know, that becomes an issue, you know. Now, you're talking about what? And on a given day, there's 4,500, maybe 4,000 officers in LAPD that are patrolled right now in the streets. You know, I mean, you're talking a very small fraction of officers that are brought up on these type of allegations, right? But now that we're getting used to it, I don't see as much as I did in the past, but I will say this, my last assignment over at an MTA for, the, for transit, I was the complaint coordinator, every complaint, that ran through all the trains and the bus lines um, came to me. And because of my experience, my captain really depended on my decision-making and how we should, how, how should we go forward to adjudicate this complaint? And uh, I'll just give you an example. So sometimes you're brought up on these other allegations, their primary allegations, and you come to find out they didn't activate their body work video. You know, now, is that an allegation? Yes. But for the spirit of making this a learning lesson, we'll just note it on the uh, on the uh, investigation and call it a day. I don't have to frame an entire allegation, sustain it, and use that, you know, as a way of, hey, you know, I know you did this over here, but because you did this, subsequently we found out you didn't turn on your body worn video. You know what? Those allegations of what you did primarily, we're going to go ahead and unfound those. They're going to be unfounded, but guess what? I'm going to sustain because you didn't activate your body worn video. You, you know, so for me, you know, I'm all about fairness. You have to be a very, very reasonable, neutral, which is I've been blessed because I've been on both sides, you know, to know how is it that you should render this type of penalty, you know, and, and not many people do that. Um, the problem with internal affairs is it does get very tunnel vision and at some point it becomes personal and that's the only part i didn't like yeah and i mean you bring up that point where those sort of ticky tacky associated violations are really what drives officers crazy right yes. so you're accused of pummeling some guy or using some unauthorized use of force you have witnesses that say the contrary and so the officers cleared however they get dinged for not wearing their hat, not having their baton, uh, not giving the guy an 849B release form or whatever. I mean, those I think are the types of, um, you know, violations that are really driving officers nuts. And so I'm asking you, what's the best way to stay out of the IA uh, net? Is it, um, I mean, you know, across America, there was that sort of uh, you want de-escalation? We're going to de-escalate to the point where we're just going to drive on by, right. off, you know, right? And so do should officers be doing minimal work? I know the answer. This is rhetorical. 
should officers be doing minimal work or is good supervision the answer to keep in uh, clear of IA? It's the second, good supervision. Your leadership is gonna count the most. In my 15 years as a sergeant, I, I got promoted in January of 2007. That's when I really had much of an impact on, on my officers. It's because you really need that because they're looking at you, mm -hmm. you know, for them to guide them, to give advice, to see how, you know, hey, how are we gonna handle this situation? Uh, minimal work is not going to cut it. You want to get out of the eye in that. I will tell you this. Number one, all, and I think I've already said it and I'll repeat it again. Anything that you do off duty, you're going to be really under the microscope and you're going to be judged and they're going to scrutinize your every single move as to your behavior on that particular incident. On duty, go at it, man. And you know what? I got to tell you, Jim, I applaud every single one of the young officers today, because what are you doing today as a police officer out in the streets? It's not different than what I did 25 years ago. And it certainly wasn't the police department or the image of the police, right, of your times, by no means. And so body-worn video, since we're talking about it, don't forget to activate it. Don't be afraid to do what's right. As a matter of fact, what I what I used to do and what I would do, even if I were to jump in a car right now, I turn it on and I'll become your best ESPN narrator. Be the be a colorful commentator. You know, sir, ma'am, you know what? Here we are today. You know, today's January 27th. And uh I'm meeting with Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson, how you doing today? And just do it because that is really going to give command staff or, you know, the eyes of the auditor right, or the adjudicator, I should say, mm -hmm. a really good understanding what it is that you're doing, you know, but if you, for some reason, and this is just your character, it's got to be your character and your personality. It really has nothing to do with police work. That's just you. If you feel like I'm scared and, you know, and I is the enemy, you know, that is so unfortunate. And you know, this is that cop culture is what they call organizational culture. Always dictates what cops do and don't do. And unfortunately for us, IA guys, we're the dark side, you know, we're the rat squad. And, uh, you know, I hope to, uh, <laughs> I hope to shine some light, you know, uh, as you know, I'm going on the podcast tour to talk a little bit about more of the internal issues and to give a better sense of understanding that, you know, we're, we're, we're good people. We do good work. We want to police you and no still going to turn. You better believe if I'm an eye investigator, I'm going to make sure no matter how much of a chicken shit, minor, you know, oh my God, he, you know, I'm making a complaint because the way he looked at me or he, he took off his sunglasses in a very aggressive manner when he did that traffic stop. Yeah, no. And I, and I've heard that. And, you know, I'm going to wrap this up by asking you about this, that, um, how many of the complaints, the citizens' complaints, are made just because of that? Um, that you know they're made in error because they don't understand policy or they don't understand that an officer has requirements per their own general orders. And so, I mean, I've seen officers, um, you know, get complaints, and and they've done absolutely nothing wrong. And when I was a captain of a district station, if a citizen uh, came to me with a complaint. I was required to take the complaint, but not until I gave them an explanation for what the officer did. So sometimes that was enough to help them understand and say, okay, well, I'm not making a complaint. And then I didn't take it. 
But uh, do we do that enough where, I mean, right now we have uh, civilian internal affairs or professional standards units right. that are initiating complaints. They are going to festivals and bars and and places where people may have contact with officers and encouraging uh, complaints, handing out complaint forms. Wow. wow. Uh, yeah, that happens in San Francisco. So wow. I guess my point is, when are we going to build in that when taking a complaint, there's there's first a discussion where um, this, the series of events are explained to the citizen before the formal complaint's taken? Yeah, if uh, good questions, I'll leave you with uh, two things. Number one, if I were chief for a day for my beloved LAPD, I would change the entire policy of zero tolerance. In other words, unfortunately, we have a zero tolerance for misconduct. So if you make a complaint, regardless if you vetted and you start mentioning some buzzwords, regardless if you know that it's just completely inaccurate, right? Uh, it's frivolous for that matter, and it has no merit you have to take the complaint. You got to cut a face sheet and create a complaint file number. So if I were me, we, however, having said that, we do have a demonstrably false um, policy that was implemented not too long ago. But still, even with that, you still have to go through the entire process. And you know what that process is like. And we can talk about that in some other uh, day in some other interview. But it would be nice if someone walks in the front desk and says, look, you know what? I just got a traffic stop and your cop threw me up against the wall. Okay, just hang on a second. You know what? Let me get your name, number, whatever. Let me get back to you in 48 hours. I'll go review body-worn video and I'll call you back up and say, look, I have body-worn video. What you're claiming uh, that alleged did not happen, did not occur. You're more than welcome to come to the station and watch the body-worn body -worn video with me. And I would imagine by that time, they're probably just going to say, yeah, whatever. And they go pound sand and, they, and then you leave, you know, but unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. Now, I will tell you this, though, uh, Jim, we can wrap it up just to get an idea of how good we actually are. And this is a really good thing. Back in 2014 or 2015, we take on the average 3,000, north of 3,000 public complaints. Think about that, right? 3,000 uh, public complaints, citizen complaints. 96.4, and I think I'm quoting maybe 2014, 2015, 96.4 of all those complaints come back unfounded. So really think about that. So what, is, yeah. what does that mean? What that means is that the majority of all complaints are very well investigated and they're vetted. And you know what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen like you said it did happen. But we have to worry about that 4%, which is the reason why you need to have our beloved Professional Standards Bureau. So. Right you know. Hey, great talking to you, Marlon. We could talk forever. You know, yes, there's, we can. there's other things I would love to talk about, about expunging cases from officers' records. We do it for criminals. Why can't we do it for cops? Um, for clearing uh, complaints from records, it, because in, in crime, we don't look at the number of arrests. We look at the number of convictions, you know, when we do sentencing. So we're going to talk again, for sure. What, yes. are you, what are you working on these days? How can uh, our listeners hear more from you? Definitely get a hold of me in LinkedIn. Uh, Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N, last name Marachi, M-A-R-R-A-C-H-E. Uh, you can get a hold of me in Instagram as well. My uh, handle is Police Discipline Together. Uh, and of course, on Facebook, again, my name, Marlon Marachi. I am going to be launching a podcast. It's called Details, D-TAC 
T-A-I-L-S. And last but not least, I am going to come on board. Hopefully, I'm working on becoming an instructor to do a lot of investigative internal affairs courses uh, to teach. That's part of my consulting to really get into the roots of how to have a really good, fair, and impartial and reasonable investigation for departments. So awesome. Please get a hold of me. Hey, thanks for spending time, Marlon Marache, retired LAPD Sergeant Detective. It's been great talking with you. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed today and the discussion with Marlon. If you have uh, more questions, uh, drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Stay safe out there. And hey, great advice from Marlon. Be a narrator, be that ESPN commentator when you activate your BWC and you let's walk walk through the narration so that whoever sees it later, whether you're using it for evidence in, in a follow-up arrest report or to protect yourself, uh, that's great advice. All right, stay safe, keep working hard and hope to talk to you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley. <laughs>